Hey guys, what's up? This is Ness and Nuts. I don't know why I'm super nervous, but we do have a very special guest here today. And she's super nervous too, so maybe that is what's floating around in the studio today. But we're going to power through it. If it's your first time listening to Heart on the Mic, Heart on the Mic is a podcast where we like to talk about life experiences just to really share about the things that have played a role in our life and shaped who we are and are shaping who we are today. So we are shameless about what we talk about and truly just here to encourage people to continue moving forward and to empower our listeners to rise above whatever circumstance that they're currently going through and to know that it can always be used for the good as long as you look at it that way. So it's all about perspective. Have you guys ever known someone but not really known them? You see them on a regular basis, but you don't really take the time to have a conversation. Nevertheless, actually trying to find actually try to find out what's truly going on. Well, that's what really happened here with Brittany and myself. One day she came to work and she just seemed really not herself. And I didn't know her that well, but I knew her well enough to know that something was up. And come to find out, she went through a very traumatic experience and um, her life, her world was kind of shifted upside down. So that day, I guess, was the start of our friendship because being a believer, I knew that I had to ask her if she was okay, but I didn't really know how to. So I said, hey, we should go have lunch or something after work. And that's really how it got started and see Brittany and she's you know getting emotional so you know these are the things that we love to talk about because we know it triggers something in our hearts you know when something's not right um and we see it in others it's our job to step in and see what's wrong and see what in what way we can help and I love that you took initiative you know to really build a relationship because it's someone that you do life with that you're probably seeing each other every day and we need those people around so I just want to like off the bat I can tell you guys have a special relationship and I love that and I just want to thank you guys for allowing me to like kind of jump in here too and be a part of what you guys have shared but I'm sure it's special and I'm just like here rooting for you and whatever words are gonna come out so so I remember that day vividly um I showed up to work and yes I think I was a little off um it had been a very chaotic weekend um and I think Vanessa was the first person outside of my family to ask me if I was okay and um for some reason her presence um you know just to give you guys a little background I grew up in church um was always a believer and I stepped away far away and um to have someone come up to me and just ask me if I was okay and she let me know that she was Christian and you know um just her presence it really um she really did have this spirit that was very comforting and I just told her what had happened and she was just so kind and um so not judgmental and from then on we just developed a really good friendship and um I haven't shared my story with many people Um, outside of my family and so I think I'm just a little nervous to really get down to the root of it but I think it's also really empowering it's been a huge journey of recovering and she has been very pivotal in allowing me to be authentic and share um, 
my story so I'm very thankful that she came up to me that day because had she not I don't know how I would have been able to get through work every day um, without her being there and checking up on me and making sure that I was okay so I think that's why it's a little emotional because I clearly remember that day and it was very um, life-changing for me so before we flash back to April <laughs> as far as a proper introduction you are a licensed therapist right I am an ACSW so I'm working on my licensure okay so all I know is you have therapist. your master's right Correct. okay I I have no, a master's. further than what I've got <laughs> yep. in school, I have a so. master's degree in social work I, right now I work as a therapist working on my clinical hours to eventually become licensed but yes I do have a working license I guess is the word yeah so above all else your goal is to care for the kids in the welfare system right correct yeah okay so we're gonna get back to the reason why I asked that rewinding back to April do you want to share a little bit about who who Brittany was in April I know you're not the same person yes so me in April I was in a very abusive relationship I was struggling emotionally um, psychologically I was having a really hard time making it day to day I definitely had a lot of depression some suicidal thoughts um, and it was just a really dark dark time I was pretty distant from my family I mean I maintained relationships but um, I kind of kept them at arm's length because they had already shared some concerns about thinking that I was in an unhealthy or you know unsafe relationship but I didn't want to come to terms um, and accept that. And so I was pretty isolated, which now um, knowing what I know about domestic violence, that's the point. Um, I'm supposed to be isolated from friends and family because that's the way that you, know, you can have more power and control. So I have a lot of empathy for that girl that was then. She was very hurt, she was very broken, and she was really, really sad. I remember just being really sad all the time. And I definitely, obviously knew about God and I think I had some sort of relationship with him but I think I was definitely um, in such a dark space that I don't think I could have seen anything outside of what was going on around me. It wasn't until I stepped away from that um, relationship and that situation that I realized how dangerous and how unhealthy and just how depressed um, I really was. And so when did you start to like unravel the I don't want to say the severity, but the truth, the, the depth of yeah. how unhealthy the relationship was and stuff like that. So I think part of me always knew. Um, and that was a tough thing to come to terms with. I think I knew that early on that he definitely had problems. And I, you know, I think the social work side of me, the therapist side of me was like, it's okay. Like, he just has issues. Like, I can help him. We're going to work mm -hmm. through them. And that was really damaging in the process. But I think when I really realized, to give you guys a little bit of background, is I was living in L.A. County. He was living in Orange County. And then um, I got an amazing job opportunity out of nowhere in Orange County. And I came out here, and I was super excited. I get to be close to my family. I have this dream guy. Um, and I was super stoked. I got a great place. And then a week into the job, I got let go. Um, they didn't think that I fit the bill of whatever kind of social worker they were looking for. So I was unemployed and I had this new little studio um, that I was living in. And so when that happened, I was struggling. I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I need to figure it out. So I kind of wrote it out for a little bit. And then I got hired in another agency. And then uh, come January, um, I wasn't very happy in the place that I was living in. And 
So that's when my ex-boyfriend at the time is like, don't worry about it. Like, you can move in with me. We can um, look for places together and we'll just kind of go from there. Um, but there had been issues prior and I thought, well, moving in is going to be a great idea. Like, all the problems are going to go away. And actually, that didn't happen at all. It actually made the abuse 10 times worse. And then I started to really unravel what was going on. I think from the moment I moved in and it really, really got worse, I think, March and then by May, um, the physical violence was really intense that I just, I eventually just left. So uh, for me, it was little signs. He was quick to anger. He was very possessive, very jealous. Um, didn't really want me around my family. Always spoke poorly of friends, of pretty much everyone around me. That way he would make it as difficult as possible to maintain relationships outside of ours. And that now I look back, it was, it was pulling me further and further away from people. And, you know, um, I'm very, not easily swayed, but I think that I valued his opinion a lot because mm -hmm. I really did care about him and I thought I was in love. And so I really took what he said to heart and he knew that. And so that's where I think a lot of the manipulation started from the first month um, we started dating up until um, the end of the relationship. So I think there was a lot of signs from day one. I just chose to ignore them because you know I didn't know any better it felt normal when you know he punched a hole in the wall because he was mad it was some of the things that he did weren't really unusual because I had grown up in such an abusive household but looking back there was red flags from the first day um, that I just didn't really acknowledge you said that he wanted you to not be around your family <laughs> yet what was your family's perspective of him or how did he act once he was around your family? I was Jacqueline Hyde and this is I think the biggest indicator that you're dealing with an abusive man. Uh, he would be great. My family uh, really liked him. He was super charming, sweet and handsome and very helpful um, and initially he was really all those things to me as well. Um, but then when I really started to see the shift was during uh, the, the first holiday spent together. He was being really just disrespectful and rude and tried to ruin the holidays and just didn't show up because he knew that how much that would hurt my feelings or how embarrassed I would be to show up without him to the holidays. And then I think uh, Christmas uh, after I showed up, I had a few bruises and so my family um, asked, you know, is everything okay? Like, he's not here. And I said, no, we're good, we're good. I just, I tripped and hit myself. And that's not what happened, but that that's what I said. And then sure enough, a month later, uh, my aunt, Sandra, um, she had a dream and she's, you know, a godly woman. And so she just shared with me, you know, I had a dream that, you know, they found you beaten up and murdered. And she's like, and I'm really worried about your relationship. And I think that you really need to take some time and you guys can reevaluate. And if it's meant to be, it'll be. So I think him not coming around anymore and just seeing me looking entirely different, I think was a huge indicator that something was going on, but I wasn't ready to tell them. So they put that in my ear. And I think when she did, um, I never felt the same about the relationship. I was just caught between the fact that he was so kind and caring yet could be so cruel and intimidating at other times. How long were you in that relationship for? Uh, we started dating August of 2018 up until May of 2020. 2020. Yeah. And being a, in the relationship for that amount of time and mm -hmm. seeing the the dynamic of the relationship change mm -hmm. like what kind of thoughts do you have about relationships in general or about the relationship at all he always made it seem like it was my fault 
So in my mind, um, because I had so much, this is where we talk about like the inner childhood wounds and trauma that I was carrying. I had so much shame and guilt um, and blame that I carried, I think, from childhood. And so he knew a lot of the childhood trauma and a lot of the wounds, and so he would poke at them mm-hmm. intentionally. And so it, I think he just really knew the spots to hit and would continually do so to the point where I had, like, little to no self-esteem. So I think the girl that went into that relationship definitely was wounded, but I think that he really opened up those wounds and picked at them continually because he knew. And now, knowing what I know now, it was intentional. He did the love bombing, got to know me, was all about me, and then, sure enough, turned around to use it against me. And so I think the shift was he knew that it was easy to make me feel guilty, that it was easy to make me feel like things were my fault because I felt like that my whole life, right? When you grow up in an abusive household, you are told you're too sensitive, you're too caring, you're too this, you're too that. So then when you enter into a relationship and that person is emulating that parent-child relationship I had, I thought that was normal. Like, I thought that that's how things were supposed to be. And so I think that's what kept me in it so long. Because part of me knew, this is his, does it feel good? But then the other part of me couldn't make the connection of, well, yeah, because that's not how relationships are supposed to be. It was so ingrained in me that I think I was trapped between knowing it felt wrong, but not knowing how to get out. I want to jump into, like, the red flags. Because we've yeah. dealt with, um, we featured BB on an episode who also was a victim of domestic abuse and I think you like you said you saw the red flags and I think it's important to address those things because so often like you said we can just brush them off because sub like subconsciously they're things that we might be passive mm-hmm. about so like I have just listening to you were things that I picked up and I can sense like denial you know I feel Mm -hmm. like that's a red flag you're like no you know it's not what it is or Mm -hmm. I also put guilt you mentioned guilt you know you start to feel like you constantly have to please this person possibly Mm -hmm. or they make you feel guilty Mm -hmm. Um, and then I feel like it creeps up into so many things like I you know this is what I took from it Um, and also like from experience of like having people who could possibly talk down to you, you know, so like you feel like your your worth, your self-esteem, they devalue you, make you feel like you're not good enough. And then also there's that codependence, you know, because mm-hmm. you guys moved in with each other. So you're in each other's space. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, well, we're here. Let's like try to make this work. Mm-hmm. So what, what are some more, um, if you would address like your red flags? Um, anger. So this is a huge red flag. Um, everyone has anger and it's a totally normal and healthy emotion. Um, as a therapist, I'm fully aware of anger and that it's okay to have. But I think what a huge red flag was is when he was angry, it would be very much so the other person's fault. So he would never take accountability. Mm-hmm. Like if someone cut him off and then he zoomed in front of him and he got rear-ended, well, that guy shouldn't have cut him off. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge red flag. I'm dealing with someone that takes zero accountability and then the quick to anger it's not a bad thing to have anger but I always remember um remember thinking like I'd never want to be on his bad side and that's a huge red flag like if his anger scares me and intimidates me one day it's going to be turned around and it's going to be against me and so that was a huge one and then the possessiveness I couldn't 
talk to friends. I couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything since day one. He made it very clear he didn't like the clique of friends that I have. And I agree, they weren't the best, but I'm allowed to have a life, right? I'm allowed to have people outside of the relationship. And then always texting, calling, wanting to know where I was at and going through my phone. I didn't find out till almost a year into the relationship how much he had gone through my stuff, gone through my phone. So little things to just look out for like that. But I think the the three main ones are the jealousy and the possessiveness and the anger. What does it look like when he's angry? And then does he ever take accountability? I think is a huge red flag that I ignored because up until this day in his mind, he thinks that I deserved the abuse because A, I stayed and B, because he felt so hurt and slighted by me that it was okay to be verbally, emotionally, physically, psychologically, whatever kind of abuse, because that's what it is. It's about power and control. So for some, look for those red flags like he would always plan the date um not really take what I wanted into consideration so that's a red flag it's like the first time it's cute but after that like shouldn't you take into consideration what I like like I like to eat sushi and he hated sushi he would never even step into a sushi place and that might seem little but now looking back it was always all about him and what he wanted and his needs and how he was going to get those met regardless of how anyone else felt so I think those are really important red flags. But um, if you do your research, um, Lundy Bancroft, I love his book, Why Does He Do That? Um, I, I read it, studied it. It was a lifesaver for me after leaving that relationship. And those are the top three he identifies. You know, look at how he treats others and then look at the way he talks about women specifically, right? Mm -hmm. Women that are close in his circle. He didn't have a good relationship with his mom and he didn't really speak very highly of any woman in his life. If that's how he feels about others, how would he feel about me, yeah. you know, so little things like that, that at the time didn't seem like a big deal. But then when it came full circle, I'm like, he has a serious problem of abuse and an attitude of entitlement that women are meant to be used and abused. And another thing that a lot of people I don't think talk about is a lot of abusive men have issues with pornography. So I noticed he had a lot of issues with always being on some porn site or on some Instagram or on some account uh, from the very beginning. And even though I identified and set that boundary, like that makes me uncomfortable, I think it's disrespectful, he continued and I stayed. And so that's where um, there's just a few things that, that you can look for and um, th that's what I experienced in, in my relationship. Definitely we see that pattern, you know, we've mm -hmm. heard of that pattern. And mm -hmm. like I said, it's those things that we can choose to be passive about. And mm -hmm. I think oftentimes when we do overlook those things, that's what leads into it getting worse and worse because we keep trying to tell ourselves, mm -hmm. I can fix this person or it'll get better. I think, mm -hmm. you know, when you're so attached, especially on an emotional level, mm -hmm. on a relationship level, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah. it is that that desire to want to see the better in the person as mm -hmm. well. Um, especially yeah. when you see them, you know, and you say they're visiting my family and my family thinks they're great because mm -hmm. we heard about this with our other episode too. You know, she said like, yeah. nobody would have ever suspected Initially, that. no one thought that. They thought he was great. Yeah. He would text my aunt. He was... Um, you know, willing to pick them up from school. He was willing to come work out with my uncle on weekends. I mean, he put on a great front, and I genuinely do think he meant those things, but I think his attitudes of entitlement and his belief system when it came to women was always going to outweigh um, his interactions. Yeah. Uh, because I'm a firm believer that I don't think abusive men are bad and evil and monsters, but I think that they have a serious problem that needs to be addressed and that any woman closely related to them is going to be affected because it's directly related to women. Mm -hmm. So his interactions with my family um, were positive, and even anyone that knows him, 
till this day is like he seemed like such a great guy which i'm sure he is but his attitude towards women is 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 the problem and being in that type of unhealthy toxic relationship what was your perspective on other relationships i was always so envious because i was like how is he so nice to her and i'm sitting here and it's like i'm doing everything to be like the nicest girlfriend the most loyal girlfriend and it's like and he treats me like crap i'm like he's so much nicer to everyone else but treats me like crap for no reason no reason and so i remember just always being so envious and not in the sense like I'm mad or like bothered by you, but just feeling so like, why can't I have that? Like, what did I do that that's not what I get to have? You know, like why was he so great in the beginning and now he's not? And you know, that shift was always my fault. And it's was just always this feeling of not being good enough and not measuring up. And I think that's what bothered me the most. So constant rejection in your relationship. Yeah, and the constant, like, well, she's prettier than you, or she's hotter than you, or she's this, or she's that. Just so blatant in in my face to say that to someone and then go to my mom's house and be like, how are you? It's so great to see you. I love your daughter. It just, it always took me for a head spin because it was such a, so blatant, just the opposite personalities that he had when um, I just had to come to the realization that what I saw at home is who he really is, not what he puts out in public. And I asked once, I said, why are you like this? Like, please help me understand. Like, I really don't get it. And he just looked at me and said, it's called saving face, Brittany. And then that day I was like, exactly. That's exactly what it is. You have to put on a certain front to look and be a certain way. And then behind closed doors, you can just do whatever you want. Because he knew I was scared of him. He knew I was intimidated. And he knew that I wouldn't tell anyone. He was fully aware I had family in law enforcement. He was fully aware that my family was very heavily involved in my life. They were at an arm's length, but they always stayed in contact. And they always made sure to be there for me, regardless of what choices I was making, whether they agreed or not. And so that... I think is what really was was the tipping point for me when he said that it really really registered and that thought never left my mind and then that's when I started realizing like okay I think I really do need to get out of this situation and then knowing what I know now when I was planning to leave I should have done it in a lot safer way Um, but I did it so abruptly and I think that's what escalated to the point of physical violence that it did when I finally said I'm leaving yeah and I I think that it's so important that we do talk about all that we talked about and I'm glad that we touched those bases because so many women so many individuals because we've heard stories we've had someone on say you know the woman was the abuser the wife was the abuser Mm -hmm. and people don't want to talk about that and um just domestic violence alone it's not really talked about so I'm glad we're able to help people if somebody Mm -hmm. is in a relationship that is abusive and they're not Mm -hmm. really trying to identify it or in denial about the red flags and stuff Mm -hmm. and you sharing that that was your aha moment was him saying he needed to save face so now kind of switching gears from the story to to the the glory and you being able to come out of it like Mm -hmm. what finally made you secure enough to be able to to up and go like you said you did it abruptly but nevertheless there was something in you that gave you some type of security or or a breaking point I don't know what it may have been but what really kind of was that green light for you to be like okay I'm truly done I'm out of here 
I think because no matter how hard he tried, I always hold, held on to like a piece of who I was. Um, you know, people call me firecracker as a joke and it's true. Like I will stand my ground and I will defend myself and I will set my boundaries and I'll be very clear about what I expect. And I think I did that a lot with him and that made him really angry. And I think that's where he realized that, you know, the last time that, um, he, you know, was the last abusive episode. I think this time around he knew, um, that time I, he locked me out and I said, I'm done. I said, I'm not dealing with this anymore. I'm calling the police. And I think once I made that decision, he knew, um, I can't control her anymore. And I think he was really angry because he had gone through my iPad. He knew I was looking at places. He knew that he had lost all control because I'm like, you no longer bother me. Like, you don't scare me. Like, you're disrespectful, you're abusive, and I'm over it. Like, I'm done. And I think that's what uh, I did when I called the police. I set the boundary of, if you're abusive, I'm calling law enforcement. Like, I'm not doing this anymore. And so, for me, what, where, why that moment happened that day, I was sitting outside in a sports bra and shorts. And I'm like, I live here. And I'm sitting outside of the place where I live because my boyfriend locked me out. I was like, well, what am I doing with my life? It was literally God tugging at my heartstrings, which he had been for the last few months. Since Sandra said, I think you need to leave him and reevaluate, um, that voice never left. So I'm forever thankful that she planted that seed because then one day I just, I was tired. I was like, I'm so over this. Why am I sitting outside with someone throwing my stuff over the balcony? Why am I doing this? I, I know we don't deserve that. We yeah. did talk about that, and it was so profound to me, and it sank in real deep because I have people in my life and cl very close friends, mm -hmm. I can say, that have been or are in relationships where their significant other is abusive. Mm -hmm. And it, it really touched my heart when you said that the way your aunt and your uncle approached you is what really gave you the safety net to be able to circle back to them in the long run because your aunt took a completely different approach and she said hey this is what i observed i'm here to help you but i'm not going to make you pick me over him mm -hmm. and i felt like that was a very yeah very good approach for her to take because too many times mm -hmm. as people trying to help someone in the relationship you take the approach of like i'm here to help you and you want to reject my help okay i'm done mm-hmm yeah, and I think the way she framed it, she said, you know, I had this dream, and you know I'm a woman of God, and I know you're not going to church right now, but, you know, he placed it in my heart, and I just have to share it with you. And I think she knew, since I had a relationship with Jesus, it was pretty broken at the time, but I think she knew planting that seed, and I think more importantly, um, she normalized um, the situation. Not saying that it was normal or okay, but saying, you know, I know you have issues and I know he has issues and he's a really great guy and we really like him. We just think that you guys need to take some time apart to figure yourselves out, figure out what you want and then come together if it's meant to be. So I think that wording was key because had she come and spoken to me the way my mom did and she's like, is he abusive? Cause you're bruised up. That's ridiculous. I did not raise you that way. That approach completely shut me down and you know, it really, created even more distance between my relationship with my mom and me and her and she always took his side in arguments he would even call and you know talk to her and so her approach was super um I think just uncomfortable and I said of course I'm not going to tell you if I'm in an abusive situation you 
literally take the guy's side half the time. You agree with him that I'm crazy, that I'm abusive, and that there's something wrong with me. And so I think her approach was just very comforting and very much so um, we care about you and him and we just want what's best. And right now it doesn't look like you being together is the best situation. So I think framing it that way and then saying, but you're an adult and you know, whatever you choose to do, we love you and we're always here for you. And I think having them um, say that and talk to me without any judgment or telling me what to do, I think really was life-saving because mm -hmm. when things got to a point where it was really unsafe, that's the first place I went. All because of their approach. Correct. So I think the approach oh, wow. made a huge difference. Yeah. And like good on them also for being those people who could look at the situation and come from a loving place. Um, because I think that's part of the hardest situation too, is to face your own family when they see the reality of things that are happening and to not be in denial about it. Cause that's hard, you know, like I can only imagine, you know, like you said, your mom may seeing you bruised up and being in denial about it, but because of the way they're approaching you, you needed that safe space. You needed to mm -hmm. feel comforted and loved and not judged. And I'm so happy that you had that for yourself because not a lot of people have that. And it's and that's all it takes, I feel like, for someone to just notice, to speak up. And, like, it helps you just shift perspective. Like you said, you were sitting out of your apartment in your bra, like, realizing what is happening to my life. What am I letting? What am I allowing? Mm -hmm. You know, and... It takes those broken moments, but you said, I love that you said you still hung on to something like who you were, and that's so important because an abuser will always try to break you, and I think once you're broken, that's when you stay where you are and you, you don't see a way out, mm -hmm. but I think you remembering who you were helped you to see a way out of that. You... You don't, you might have been through the battle, but you don't sound like a broken person to me. You sound like someone who really fought to hang on to who they were. And you sound like someone who really just believed that they deserved better for themselves. So proud of you for Thank you. having that strength, you know? Yeah, like my family likes to say, he picked the wrong one. <laughs> Which is funny now. At the time, it was not. Yeah. Um, it was very, very difficult to deal with. But I think that's what just made him so angry is he wanted to break every part of me, make me feel bad for being me. And I said, how could I ever be too forgiving, too kind, too caring? Like, these are wonderful qualities. Like, mm -hmm. I love that about myself. So no matter how much you try to break me down or tell me I'm not good enough or I'm not this enough, like, part of me was always like, no, that's not true. Like, I don't agree with what you're saying right now. And obviously that would escalate the abuse, um, which was unfortunate. And I should have known better at the time. But I think that's what really made the dynamic get so abusive so quickly. Because he realized, I think, once I moved in, like, wow, she's really on to me. And she's going to call me out. And she's going to hold me accountable. So I think that's what prompted him to be even more abusive. And to even take it to the point that he did physically. Because I was not just going to sit there and take it. Um, I did for a while, but I think he knew deep down, like, she's got a lot of family that's in her ear, and she's a little more strong-willed. I'm very much so hard-headed, and if I have something in my head, it's going to stick. And so I think he tried really hard, um, but he, he didn't prevail. You weren't willing to lose yourself in it. And that wasn't. That's the big factor 
is that you stuck to your guns despite all the abuse and despite the whole roller coaster ride you knowing who you were is what really allowed you to get out of it mm-hmm. and to deal with all that you did because I can't wrap my head around the fact that you went through all of that yet still got up to go to work every single day without no anyone knowing what you were going through mm-hmm. while having a significant other, someone who you love so much and all you wanted them to do was love you back to be kicking you while you were down like it's just Mm -hmm. it's happened so and that's why I was just so eager to get you on as well too because there's people in your shoes and and Mm -hmm. their their battle is silent Mm -hmm. and mine was you know um no one knew but I think because I love being a social worker like I love being a therapist like I think I loved what I I love still what I do because I could identify with the brokenness in the kids. I have an extraordinary amount of empathy and compassion to put myself in other people's shoes. And so I think going to work was my safe space. It was the one space where I was validated, where my education and my skills was praised. It was the one place where, you know, despite the kids not always being the kindest, I always knew that they were going to be consistent and that they were going to show up. And so I think um, having that career and being able to focus on everyone else's traumas and wounds and help them heal was a place that I felt comfortable and safe despite what was going on um, at home. And while healing (laughs) just from everything, from the abuse, verbal and physical, what have you learned about your upbringing that shaped the way you see in your unhealthy relationship as normal? So I think I ran away from this probably my whole life. So inner childhood work, it's pretty much what we do in all forms of therapy, specifically when you're dealing with victims of abuse. And so what I really learned, um, unfortunately, I got connected to a Christian grief counselor, Mary, which sounds weird. I was like, why are you referring me, Sandra, to a Christian grief counselor? What is she going to do? She's like, no, trust me. Like, she works with a lot of victims of DV. And I'm like, I'm not a victim, guys. Like, I hate that word. Like, I was very resistant to going to therapy because I was like, I'm a therapist. Why would I go to therapy? And I think it was because I didn't want to have to do the inner childhood work because it's hard. I had to acknowledge that I grew up in an abusive household that was verbally, emotionally, psychologically, and physically abusive um, with a caregiver who struggled with alcoholism and um, a dad who wasn't around, Um, and then a stepfather who was an enabler, and then, you know, a mother who was very um, abusive because she was operating from her own inner childhood wounds and trauma that she had been carrying. And so I think the little girl in me um, didn't want to face that reality, that I didn't get the childhood I deserved, and that I had to grieve that. I had to grieve the fact that I grew up in a very unsafe and invalidating environment, which prompted me to be prime time for abuse because it felt normal. It was what I was used to. I was used to feeling unlovable, unworthy, not good enough. And even though the rest of my family, my grandparents, my aunts and uncles and cousins are so loving and caring, they weren't my primary caregivers. They weren't mom and dad. And so that parent-child relationship, which is so imperative from so early on, I didn't have. And so it was a really hard uh, reality to come to, but it was also transformative because once I was able to acknowledge the little girl, grieve that she never got what she needed, and then reparent myself. So I got to a place where I rewired the way I thought about relationships, the way I thought about men, and the way I thought about myself. 
I had to come to a place that just because I was a victim of abuse as a child and even as an adult, that's not my identifying factor. Like there's so many wonderful qualities about me that people tried to say were bad or not good when at the end of the day, like God created me this way for a reason and for a purpose. And that's exactly who I'm meant to be. And anyone that thinks I'm too kind or too too caring or too forgiving or too much of anything, they just don't belong in my circle. And so I think doing that work of really um, having a lot of empathy and understanding for the little girl inside of me and validating um, who she is, is I think what really helped me shift my focus to um, victim to feeling really empowered that I'm an adult now you know that was I remember that session uh, she looked at me and she said I think this word that you've been looking for throughout all of this is helpless she's like I think you've always felt so helpless in the way that people treat you because of the childhood trauma and because of the relationship you endured but so like, I don't think you realize that you're an adult now like you're not a little girl anymore you get to choose what your life looks like and what relationships you choose to have and it wasn't until she told me that that I realized that and I think that's what a lot of victims of abuse struggle with is uh, it makes you feel so helpless and until you have someone that tells you you're not helpless like you have a lot more in you than you think um, is I think what really helped me shift my perspective and um, it made me a much better therapist, much better social worker and just the best version of me. Shout out to Mary. I love Mary and she's bold. I think that's what was hard is she's very in your face. She's like, yeah, it sucks. Like, yeah, you, you experienced abuse, but at the same time, you know, like you get to choose what your life looks like. Do you want to be in another abusive relationship? And I'm like, no, of course not. She's like, okay, then you have to acknowledge what about you made you think that was okay? What about you made you think that that's what you deserved? And taking accountability just felt so wrong in the beginning. But then once I shifted my perspective is I didn't deserve the abuse, but what about me made me think that that's what I deserved? And I had to really work on the self-esteem, the self-worth. And more importantly, she always brought it back to remember your identity, you know, in Christ. Mm -hmm. And you'll always be okay. I love that. I'm just going to share scripture right yeah. away because <laughs> we always have to, like, you know, tie yeah. the word of God into that. And it's simple, but Psalm 139.14 says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works mm -hmm. are wonderful. I know that full well. And, you know, God speaks that over us. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And as women of God, we have to remember to be rooted in mm -hmm. him and remember who said who he says we are. Mm -hmm. So I want to touch back based off of that. I want to yeah. touch back. You said who Brittany was back in April, right? Mm -hmm. So who is Brittany now? And I want your take on um, the importance of knowing yourself Mm -hmm. and your identity and your worth before stepping into a relationship again. Because mm -hmm. I know you, I'm sure you would want to step into that again and you would know the signs. And mm -hmm. so what, um, yeah, what uh, should somebody know about themselves before? Um, this is going to sound very cheesy, but know who you are. Yeah. I think I stepped into that relationship not knowing. I didn't think, I didn't know, I think I always was very smart and educated, but I didn't, I didn't think I knew who I was. And so I think me now is a lot more sound, a lot more whole, and a lot more comfortable in my own skin. I think that I was always told I was something, and I took that to heart because I'm such a people person. And so I think knowing that um, I'm, first, first and foremost, a child of God, that's my identifying factor. And then second, that 
I am who I am and that I am a very empathetic individual and that's okay to be sensitive and to be compassionate and to be so caring, but to also have very clear boundaries mm -hmm. of who is and isn't going to be in my life. And if that means no contact, that means no contact. If that means modified contact where I'm kind and cordial, then I'll be kind and cordial. But learning to let go of like the shame and the guilt, like if something doesn't benefit me, it doesn't have to be in my space and there's nothing wrong with that. So I think I'm just a lot more in tune with what I need and what I want rather than putting everyone else ahead of myself because it's not a bad quality, but being as empathetic as I am, it was really damaging for a lot of years. There's individuals in my life that, you know, I love you and I respect you, but I don't really like you. And mm -hmm. I'm just going to keep you at arm's length mm -hmm. um, because now I am very clear about what I will and will not tolerate. And who cares if I'm too sensitive? If I, fa if I say something bothers me, it bothers me. And people that really do love, care about you and respect you are going to be okay with that boundary rather than walk all over it. Yeah. We always say, um, you know, whenever your character is attacked and it's like not something that's harmful towards others I think that's like one good identifier mm -hmm. and huge with us is who we let in our circle you know mm -hmm. it's those influences it's those people that are mm -hmm. around us and be quick to identify those people who mm -hmm. you know make your spirit feel off or mm -hmm. who spoke to you a certain way or yeah. a certain tone and identify I didn't like that I'm not gonna allow that and mm -hmm. just be secure in who you are it's so important yeah. yeah, exactly. And now my spirit is, I hate to say it, but woke. I mean, now I'm very much so in tune and it's definitely left me with a very small and tight circle, but I think it has been the most helpful because now the people that are in my life are genuine and I'm able to develop and nurture those relationships that were always there, but I don't think I could ever show up as myself because I always felt so unworthy whereas now it's like of course i deserve to be treated with kindness and respect if that's what i extend to others why wouldn't i deserve it um back and so i think once you realize who you are and and what you expect and what you want your life to look like um that'll really help you weed out who is and isn't for you just naturally because it showed me wow some of you don't actually like me you like what i can do for you mm. because i am empathetic yeah. and caring and there are people that are going to manipulate and take advantage of that and it can even be relatives, it can be close friends, or... People love people pleasers. Mm -hmm. Correct. And it wasn't until I realized I don't have to be a people pleaser to be liked um, that I was able to be who I am now. Which might not be everyone's cup of tea, but I'm not supposed to be. Yeah. So. And I think something huge pertaining to your question for mm -hmm. me is root issues. Like, mm -hmm. to be aware of your root issues, mm -hmm. to be aware of whoever's root issues that you're going to be having whatever type of relationship mm -hmm. with, my advice would be to to be open to talking about it and not thinking that it's childish or petty or stupid to talk mm -hmm. about, like, things that affected your upbringing because it's so important. Like, my husband knows how important it is to me to talk about, like, root issues or whatever. Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm this way because of that happened. And I, that's so important in, in relate, just in general. That's yeah. my um, answer I, to your question. Yeah, <laughs> even for myself, I had to identify trauma. I mean, my husband's gone now, but I'm still dealing with trauma that I had from m issues in my marriage that I can't address with him. So... I have to fix that because I'm like, okay, he, this person is not here anymore and I'm not who I used to be at that point when we had those relationship problems. So for me, even 
having those root issues and being to identify them when they pop up, I think about, you know, how this would affect relationships in the future because there are things that I have to dig up and work through. So Mm -hmm. I do find the time to like talk to my mom about these things because it is important Mm -hmm. um, to let that out and allow the healing to take place. Mm -hmm. Um, And we shouldn't be ashamed about those things. Mm -hmm. Um, Just finding that one person that we can be comfortable and share with Mm -hmm. will make such a huge difference. Mm -hmm. And you hit it right on the nose because you don't always need to talk to the person who the issue is with. Mm -hmm. You you find that person who you can trust and that can walk you through it in a healthy way. That's the game changer because so many times, or I've, I've recently found myself in a situation where I was like, this person really caused heartache in my life, and my flesh was telling me, yeah, go address them because I knew it was going to result in a bad, angry mm-hmm. conversation, but the discernment and wisdom that I had was like, no, talking to my husband is more than enough because he's going to hear you know, what the trauma was and validate my feelings and I'm healed. Like, I got to leave it at that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we just have to really have those internal battles mm-hmm. um, yeah. about who we're going to talk to because in reality, at the end of the day, like, mm-hmm. who we, like you said, Mary was your person. Like, she, you didn't have to address it with A, B, and C, whoever caused those root issues, but you, she helped you work through it and mm-hmm. it brought you to who you are today, you yeah. know? Yeah. So that's something important, at least in my book. Yeah, she created that safe space where she was very real. She said, yeah, it's awful. It's okay to be angry, upset, and hurt, you know, but uh, how are you going to move forward? And I think that's what brings me to the next point, too, of healing was forgiveness. Mm -hmm. That one was so hard because I sat there and I was like, God, how do you expect me to forgive these people? A, they're not sorry. And B, they're living life. Like, nothing happened. Well, I'm over here picking up all the pieces and broken and torn and sad and going through it and I'm like I know you're with me the whole way through but how do you expect me to do that and then I remember God was just like you know you know what Brittany like I forgave you so what makes you think you can't forgive others and then thinking about the inner childhood trauma and all the things that I experienced and how I felt and then um, empathizing and saying yeah you're abusive and what you did was wrong but I can't imagine how hurt and broken you are on the inside that that's how you would treat others or people that you say you love and so that's what really helped me look at him from a lens of he does need help and he needs Jesus and he needs a whole lot of treatment to overcome that that situation but the same way I was a product of Um, an abusive household and I ended up in an abusive relationship so was he he grew up in a really abusive household where his primary role model was abusive towards women so we both emulated what we knew doesn't make it okay and it doesn't make it right but I think looking at him from that perspective really validated the fact that it was never my fault that I never deserved it and that it's okay to say you know what I leave the pain and the shame and the blame and the guilt I let that all go because it releases me from all that bondage of all those offenses that, that were done to me. I think that's what really helped me get to a place of healing is forgiving even though he's not sorry. Is there any one little nugget you, as Brittany, would give to somebody? Listen to your guts. This sounds really, I, I mean, obviously if you're, um, as you know, you're Christian, you're going to say spiritual discernment, but at the time I was not. Um, you know, actively practicing my faith, but listen to your gut. Like that little feeling that something doesn't feel right, it's usually right. And I think a lot of women in abusive relationships ignore it. You know, I was working at a domestic violence agency for part of our relationship and I red flags were right in front of me and I was like, no, 
that's not it, that's not it. But in my gut, I knew. And in my heart, I knew. I just didn't want to accept it. So if something feels off or just feels too good to be true, then it is. And that would be my, my best advice because you just feel something's off but it's so easy to to ignore that and you know women's intuition really is a real thing and uh, we should definitely listen to it more what do you feel like makes you so passionate about the field you're in it's not easy uh, it's a tough people time. don't even know we can't even talk about half the stuff that happened <laughs> but why do you stay in this relationship with your clients <laughs> with my clients <laughs> so why do i work with traumatized kids because a part of me identifies with them i know what it's like to feel unloved unworthy and unsafe and to not be um treated the way you're supposed to by the two people that are supposed to love you the most and so i think i have a lot of empathy and a lot of understanding and to know that i can help other people heal and even when I was broken, I was still making a difference. I think that that's why I stay, that no matter how um, disrespectful, rude, or even, you know, assaultive they, they can become, at the end of the day, I'm dealing with a child who's experienced an extraordinary, extraordinary amount of trauma. And I know that. And I think that's what really helps is I know what it's like to feel the way they do, to feel so helpless and to behave in a way that you know isn't right and that is hurting others, but not knowing how to shift that that the way you are because there's so much trauma and so many deep-rooted things so i love the inner childhood work i love getting to the root of when did you start feeling this way when did you um you know first come to to feel whatever you're feeling now and then you know when you hear the word no like how does that make you feel like where does that stem from and sure enough it's whatever they experience really early on that really impacts their day-to-day -day functioning so I think being able to make a difference, help them identify those wounds, help them heal them, and then be a consistent um, individual that they can lean on because they know no matter what they do, I'm still gonna come to work the next day. And so I think I'm really drawn to helping them get to a place of healing because they're all capable of it. They just need people to help them identify um, what's already inside of them. I'm just trying to take it all in because I love you know, these conversations, mm -hmm. um, and it is a lot to take in. It's um, always beautiful to see a struggle turned around, mm -hmm. um, and I think we're placed sometimes in tough situations to help others out, and I think you're placed in a perfect place to help those who are around you, and just I applaud you for showing up as that strong person for someone else when you at one point were the broken one or, you know, not to say completely broken, but at that point you were the one in their shoes, you know, and mm -hmm. to overcome that, it sucks that we have to go through tough things like that, but all in all, it makes us who we are. And mm -hmm. I'm just so glad to meet you today. It was our first time meeting, I but Thank you. Um, it's just amazing hearing your story. And like us human beings, we're resilient, we're strong, mm -hmm. we're so capable, but it really does take uh, people mm -hmm. to encourage you mm -hmm. and um, you finding the will and the strength in yourself to be who you know um, God created you to be. And mm -hmm. so I see that. I see um, like a full circle of you going through something and seeing the blessing on the other side of it. Well, thanks for letting us just scratch the surface. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Through your just this 
situation in your life and this mm -hmm. story. I know there's so much more yeah. behind who you are. And I'm just so grateful that despite any fear or nervousness or whatever may be that you came on today and we're vulnerable because that truly is our mission here mm -hmm. on Heart of the Mic is to be transparent, to be vulnerable, but offer a purpose of empowering and really encouraging the listener to um, either see how other people get through situations that they may not find themselves in or to help somebody through who can really mm -hmm. relate yeah. mm -hmm. and it resonates with them. So I have just a few questions for closing that are, are a little on the lighter note, just okay. so that way we can have a little fun closing. Mm -hmm. yes. So mm -hmm. if you can show with anyone for the day, dead or alive, who would it be? Oh, you are going to judge me. I love Justin Bieber. <laughs> I really, he seems like he's such a just like cool kid. And I'm just like, I just want to see like what you're really about. Like just for like a fun question. I, I think that's that's my number one. I really am a J. Biebs fan. I would love to hang out with him. I'm judging you for being I know, a believer. I know you're you're giving me the eyes, but it's okay. I just I really love. Him. I feel like past that era. I didn't <laughs> I didn't fall in love with Justin. Bieber. I fell in love, and ever <laughs> since I just I want to meet him. I never caught the Bieber fever. I went to Purpose Tour twice, and I just it was oh magical. gosh. Next question. <laughs> magical. You asked all. It's my honest okay. opinion. <laughs> All right, what is the biggest deal breaker for you? Oh, that's a good question. I haven't even thought about moving into the dating world. Um, deal breaker in relationships? However, wherever. In general, deal breaker? People that are unkind to people that are struggling. Mm. Like mm. someone that's he's really down and out, and people are just like, oh, I don't care. Like the person that walks by the homeless person yeah. and is like, they need it for drugs. I'm like, I don't like that. That's like the empath in you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Like and not yeah. Having I'm all about justice. People. So injustice, I think, is for me, like, mm, that really rubs me the wrong way. I love that. Mm -hmm. And the last question, what made you feel open to putting your heart on the mic today? I think I was really, really embarrassed. It's like, I sit here and I'm just like, wow, guys, like the fact that that's my story, it was really initially very embarrassing. And I think um, it was really a season of my life that I don't want to say I'm proud of. It was very transformative. And I think I learned a lot. But I think um, being able to share my story and letting people know that there's so much life after um, you know, abuse, and it doesn't matter if you experienced it as a child or as an adult, like, you deserve to be treated with love, kindness, and respect simply for being you, and so I think people really need to hear the message that, um, abusers are manipulative, and it can really, you know, can happen to you without realizing, and so kind of removing the shame and the guilt and the blame and letting people know that we're all human and we all make mistakes and that it's okay, um, because your bounce back will definitely always be stronger than whatever that setback was I'm a firm believer we all have the ability to change and shift and so if my story can help at least one girl figure it out then it was all worth it yes and something I'm huge on or a huge a really big reason <laughs> why I love talking about root issues is because no matter who it is there's always a fear of judgment and shame for knowing that you were in that position and mm -hmm. you went through that situation and geez shame should not stop us from going forward and seeing the beauty in our struggle because mm -hmm. 
it just gives us the opportunity to pave the way for future generations. That's the way I always think of it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't want my kids or my cousins or whoever, Absolutely. maybe anyone younger than me to mm-hmm. to feel however I may have felt in a certain situation or other people in, mm-hmm. in certain situations. So put the shame aside and speak up is is mm-hmm. something I'm like yeah. super huge on. So yeah. thank you guys as listeners for listening in and thank you, Brittany, again for, for coming on today. We do really appreciate you all joining us. So thank you all so much and we'll see you next time.